The reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 6, verses 28 through 7-7, and it's on page 49 in your pew Bible. Now when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lip, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Then, Moses, th then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my pe people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. This is the word of God. Lord, I believe that you have something for us, for each of us in this part of Exodus. And I even thank you now for Brian's testimony and how that uh, fits into what I'm saying today and how you orchestrated that. Give us all um, courage to do what you ask. Amen. Well, I want to remind you where we left Moses a couple weeks ago. He, was, uh, he made his first attempt at confronting Pharaoh, and he failed big time. He flamed out. Um, things have gone from bad to worse for his people. Pharaoh has doubled down on his cruelty to the people of Israel. Uh, and now the Israelites are even blaming Moses for what's happened. So Moses is dejected, he's doubtful, and he's insecure. And he's wondering... Uh, if what God has said is actually going to happen. How easy would it have been for Moses to just pack his bags and head back to Midian? Like, so much for that idea. Maybe I didn't hear God after all. Um, but he doesn't do that. In fact, by the beginning of chapter 7, and we're going to go a little beyond what was read um, we're starting a little before what was read, and we'll go a little beyond it. By the, by the end of our reading today, he's back in Pharaoh's court with Aaron, confronting Pharaoh and seeing God work. And he's like this confident, you know, courageous Charlton Heston Moses that we all think of. So, what happened? What moved Moses from insecurity and doubt to confidence and action. That's a, we see a real turning point in this passage in the reading today. Really a turning point in the whole story for Moses because every, everything after this, he's, um, he's courageous. He's, he's, he's a strong leader. It's like he goes from being Charlie Brown to Charlton Heston, you know? Um, uh, and so what happened to make that possible? That's the question I want to answer this morning. And the answer is something we need as followers of Jesus. 
Because all of us who follow Jesus, like Moses, are called to represent God to the world. We're called to speak God's word to the world. And like Moses, sometimes we face opposition. Sometimes we feel like our task is impossible or like we can't possibly make a difference. Sometimes we doubt that God has called us to something or that we have what it takes and our insecurities speak louder than God's promises. And so when that happens, we settle for a low-stakes, risk-free Christian life, just kind of gliding along and... um, letting other people do their thing. Instead of speaking up for Jesus, we're like Charlie Brown with a paper bag over his head. Like, I don't want to be embarrassed. <clears throat> so whatever happened to Moses to move him from Charlie Brown to Charlton Heston is what we need as well. And I want to speak to that today. Uh, and the message has both a challenge and a comfort. The challenge is that You and I have a calling to represent God. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it seems impossible. The comfort is that God meets us with his grace and with his power. And we see that played out here in Moses' life. So let's trace out the story of how Moses moved from insecurity to courageous action Uh, First, we'll see all the reasons Moses had to be discouraged. Then we'll see how God encouraged him. And finally, we'll see what Moses did. So we'll actually pick up in chapter 6, verse 9. Chapter (coughs) 6, excuse me, verse (coughs) 9. I'd encourage you to have a Bible open. We won't use the, te- the scripture on the screen because it doesn't include the whole text of what I'm preaching on. Exodus chapter 6, starting at verse 9. What are the reasons Moses had to be discouraged? There were many. There were many. So God has just promised a discouraged Moses that he will bring Israel out of Egypt. God said he will be faithful to his covenant to Abraham Um, But Moses tells this to the people and they don't believe him. Look at verse 9. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Things are not going well for Moses. But God doesn't seem bothered by the situation. Look at what he says next in verse 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go! Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me, since I speak with faltering lips? Moses replies, as all of us would, with total incredulity, like, Well, my own people aren't even listening to me. Why should I expect our worst enemy will listen to me? That sounds logical. Um, especially because he has a speech impediment, (laughs) right? So Moses has no evidence whatsoever to believe that God's plan is going to work. Pharaoh's against him. Pharaoh laughed him off. His people are against him. Their suffering has gotten worse. And he's supposed to be God's spokesman, and he has a speech impediment. He's got no evidence to see that God's plan is going to work. 
Well, the author of Exodus then inserts this genealogy into the story, if you notice that. We're not going to read through all these names. But the purpose of this genealogy was to, was to more precisely name and locate Aaron and Moses in the story. They were, they were real people from a real family. This highlights their human origins through uh, the tribe of Levi and on down. So they were, uh, Levi was a son of Jacob and Moses and Aaron are descendants of Levi. Genealogies are important in the Bible. Now, but this genealogy does something else too. It reminds us that Moses is very human like us. In a few chapters, he's going to be this larger-than-life spiritual giant, but let's not forget he was an ordinary human being. As a matter of fact, there's something in this genealogy that might have been embarrassing to Moses. Look at verse 20. Amram married his father's sister, Jochebed, who bore him Aaron and Moses. Do you catch that? Moses' um, father married his aunt. Moses' father married his aunt. Now, that relationship would have been considered off-limits in the law that God was about to give. So that's not exactly something Moses would have been proud of. But here it is for all of us to see. Moses is a real human. His family is like everyone else's with their own issues. Now, these are all the reasons Moses would have had to throw in the towel. And the narrator drives this point home in verse 26 and 27. He says, It was this Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. They were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. The same, this same Moses and Aaron. And then at the end of, the, of chapter 6, we are reminded again of Moses' deep insecurity. The Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt and said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, Since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? He says it again. Moses has many reasons to give up and to not do what God said. He doesn't feel qualified. He doesn't feel strong enough. He doesn't feel humanly um, capable. He's not anyone special. His first attempts have failed. From every possible angle, his situation seems hopeless. It seems impossible. But here is where the Lord comes and gives him words of encouragement. So let's look. Chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of this country. This is very interesting. What does it mean that Moses is like God to Pharaoh? It means that when Moses stands in Pharaoh's court, he stands with God's authority. 
Remember how Pharaoh asked in the last chapter, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Well, he's about to find out. And little does he know, when Moses stands in front of him, he's being confronted by the living God. Moses stands with God's authority. And it's as if God is saying, Moses, it's not you. I am the one who will be working through you. You stand in my authority with my strength. So don't focus on your insecurities, your lack, your fears. Focus on me. I have made you like God to him. And God even graciously meets Moses in his insecurity by allowing Aaron to be his spokesperson because he knows Moses is insecure about his speech. He's tongue-tied. Well, look what God says next in verse 3. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. (laughs) Did you notice how many times the words my and I are in that paragraph? God is saying, This is about my power, my plan, my work, my strong arm is what's going to make it happen. Not you. Moses, you don't have to make all this happen. You just have to be faithful to me. I am the one whose power matters here. I'm the one who's going to do this. Did these words help Moses? Did they? What, what did he do about what God said? Let's move on to verses, verse 6. And we'll see what Moses did. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. That's it. When I studied this passage this week, I, I almost skimmed over this verse. But right here, this is what makes the difference. Moses obeyed God. He chose, despite all the evidence he could have looked, he looked at and said, this isn't going to work, he chose to obey God. He did just as the Lord commanded. He, he obeyed God. Do you see that? That is where the change happens. And quickly we see that what, when Moses and Aaron did what God said, things began to happen just as God said they would. Imagine that. <laughs> Look at the, what happens next, starting in verse 8. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same thing by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. God's authority. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. Hmm. 
Interesting. Here are Aaron and Moses showing God's power, speaking God's word, and watching what God had said come true because they did what God commanded them. They obeyed. They chose to obey. And interestingly, we see a picture at the very end here of someone who does the opposite, of Pharaoh, who despite all of God's words to him, hardens his heart. And we'll see that next week through all of the plagues. He is one who does not yield his heart to God, and Moses and Aaron do. They obey God. And from this point on, Moses doesn't back down. He seems to grow even more confident every time he confronts Pharaoh. And through him, God does amazing, history-changing things. Why? Because Moses obeyed God. Now, friends, I want to bring this to a focus for us, for our lives. That was what happened to Moses. What about us? What about us? Moses is a prototype. Think about who he was. He was the man sent by God for a saving mission, chosen to confront an evil power and save his people. He had, uh, his people were against him. He had enemies. He was tempted to give up. But though the task seemed impossible, he surrendered to God and obeyed. And because of that, a great salvation happened. Can you think of anyone else in the Bible who fits that description? Jesus. Jesus. It's not simply that we are to imitate Moses in his obedience. Moses is a prototype of Jesus Christ. And we owe our lives to the obedience of him. To Jesus' surrendering his heart to God not giving up, not backing down, but obeying God to the bitter end, though it seemed impossible. And through Jesus, through the salvation he has given us from sin, we have a similar calling in this world. Jesus has entrusted us with the gospel, with the good news about him, and he has given us his authority, like God gave Moses his authority. Did you know that as you go about your lives in this world, you are like God to other people? To the extent that you bear the gospel and you represent Jesus with your words and actions, you are God to someone else. They see Christ in you. That is a high calling, but it comes with God's authority, with God's empowering, right? That's the first thing that it means for us. You've been commissioned by Jesus and given his spirit to be his representative in the world. So often, that calling is scary. Let's face it. That calling is hard. It's scary. Sometimes it seems impossible. And we find all kinds of reasons to say no to God. Lord, I can't speak to that person about the gospel. They would tear me to shreds. Lord, I can't serve in that leadership position. I don't have the experience. Lord, I can't represent Jesus in that place. It's too dark. Lord, I can't give away that much money. Have you seen what the economy's doing now? Lord, 
I can't offer to pray for that person. That would be really awkward. Lord, I can't show grace to that person, not after what they said to me. Right? Lord, I can't do that. Don't you know about this disability I have? You see? We can find all kinds of reasons to, 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 to disbelieve God and to not fulfill the calling he's given to us. Because it seems impossible, because we have limitations, because people are against us, because we're frail, because, and on and on and on. Is there something right now in your life that God has called you to do that you may be holding back from because of fear or insecurity? Is there? God is waiting to meet you with his grace and with his power as you obey, as you take that step and say, okay, I choose to do what you are calling me to do. I was thinking this week about the story of Ananias in Acts chapter 9. You remember him? Ananias was just a, a regular Christian who lived in a city called Damascus. Now, unbeknownst to him, a man named Saul was on his way to Damascus. Saul, the infamous uh, Christian persecutor, right? And Jesus meets Saul on the road, confronts him, converts him, strikes him blind, and Saul is led into Damascus. So God appears to Ananias and says, there's a man named Saul at this address, and I want you to go and pray for him so he can have his sight restored. And Ananias is like, uh, is this the same Saul who's on his way to try to uh, kill us and to, to put Christians in jail? Is that the one you're talking about? I can't go talk to him. I can't pray for him. And God says, go. Go. I've chosen this man for a great purpose. So go, pray for him. So Ananias goes. And he has the privilege of being part of Saul, who becomes Paul, his story, and of a great move of God to the Gentiles, to us. All because Ananias said, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. What is it that gave Moses the courage to obey? What is it that gave Ananias the courage to obey? What will give us the courage to obey? One word. Trust. Trust. Obedience is trust in action. Obedience is not uh, uh, earning points with God or proving something to God. It's simply believing that what God says is true and choosing to do it. That's all. Obedience is trust in action. And the opposite is true. If we sit here and say we believe in God and sing these songs and read these scriptures, but don't act on what God has said, we simply don't trust God. Obedience is trust in action. And friends, God does, did not have to use Moses. He could have freed the Israelites all on his own. He didn't need Ananias. He doesn't need us. We have the privilege, for some strange reason, of being a part of God's great work in this world. And when we trust 
enough to obey, we see his power. Mm. I wonder what would happen if everyone here said yes to God every time. No matter how impossible the call seems, no matter how scary it is, no matter how small it is, no matter how great, how great it is, I think we would find God faithful and powerful. I think we would see God move in amazing ways. But the only way to find out is to do it. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for the example of Moses, that he was faithful to you. Thank you even more for Jesus, for his unflinching obedience to his call. We know that he did that for the joy that was set before him. And I pray that you would uh, allow us to trust you as deeply as Jesus did. To know that whenever we step out in faith to answer a call, you will be there to help us. And we will see your grace and your power. So encourage us. Give us courage. And may we see wonderful things as we trust and obey. In Jesus' name, amen.